This is Mike Munger of Duke University, the knower of important things. Rationalism, effective altruism, and Samuel Bankman-Fried. Are these people whining and melancholy moralists? My interview with Ben Goldhaber, and a new twedge, and more. Straight out of Creedmoor, this is Tidy C. I thought they'd talk about a system where there were no transaction costs, but it's an imaginary system. There always are transaction costs. When it is costly to transact, institutions matter. And it is costly to transact. Last week's letter was on utilitarianism and effective altruism. Here's the letter. One issue that your thoughts on transaction cost have helped me make some progress on is Peter Singer's argument in his infamous paper, Famine, Affluence, and Morality. To recall that argument, the centerpiece is a story wherein Singer, while walking past a shallow pond, sees a child drowning in that pond. The intuitive judgment is that Singer, or anyone else in this situation, ought to, morally speaking, wade into the pond to rescue the child from drowning. The argument continues by claiming there's no morally relevant differences between a case where a child is drowning in a pond and the suffering and death of people in other parts of the world. Suffering and death we know of, at least in the abstract, and are in some position to alleviate or prevent. The argument concludes that each of us who has resources and knowledge of the situation in other parts of the world is morally obliged to sacrifice as much as we have to ameliorate that situation up to the margin of sacrificing something morally comparable to the suffering and death we aim to alleviate. In a key passage, Singer claims that, now quoting Singer from the letter, From the moral point of view, the development of the world into a global village has made an important, though still unrecognized, difference to our moral situation. Expert observers and supervisors sent out by famine relief organizations or permanently stationed in famine-prone areas can direct our aid almost as effectively as we could get it to someone in our own block. End quote from Singer. Now back to the letter. This passage has always bothered me as too glib, too easy. But meditating on transaction costs has yielded some conceptual resources to better say what might bother me about this passage. Singer seems to ignore the difference in transaction costs encountered by someone rescuing a child from drowning in a pond right in front of them, and someone donating to a Bengali famine relief charity. To my mind, the difference in transaction costs is substantial. But what remains unclear to me is whether the difference in transaction costs makes much moral difference. I can see how the development of the effective altruist movement, as well as services like GuideStar and Charity Navigator, constitute efforts to reduce the transaction cost of charity. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the matter. With best wishes, AA. Well, thanks again, AA, for that question. To get some answers, I went to Ben Goldhaber, who describes himself as effective altruism adjacent, but who has been around the movement for nearly a decade. Ben Goldhaber is a technologist who has worked at Google in various startups and cryptocurrencies, education, and artificial intelligence. Here's my interview with him. Now, it was on Zoom, and there are some problems with sound consistency. My apologies. So let me ask, Ben, if you will introduce yeah. yourself and uh, just say something about your background and how you came to be interested in EA. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I should have thought of this before I actually joined on the call, what the good succinct summary is, because it's been a bit of a, 
a winding journey. Well, so, all right, let me get to it. Yes, it's a pleasure to be on. So my background is I've worked in tech in various companies and startups for a number of years, a little over a decade now. And I have been, well, and I'll say I'm currently um, a director at FAR, which is a AI alignment research lab. I am uh, have been involved in the EA space as broadly defined for probably just under a decade, about like nine Maybe I first learned about it about a little over 10 years ago, but then like really got more involved in 2014. And I, like many people nearby EA or in like this kind of general intellectual milieu, like hesitate a little bit to label myself as an effective altruist. Um, But that in and of itself is a bit of a running joke within this uh, community where like many are like... The first rule of EA... The first rule of EA, yeah, something is like, oh, you're not EA, you're yep. EA adjacent. And I do kind of label myself in that way, uh, coming a bit from the rationalist space and just other intellectual traditions, including libertarianism, proudly. Um, Bless you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is that is me. Well, thanks. I had wanted to ask, because I think probably almost everybody thinks they know what EA is, but they mm. differ. And so they do differ. I want to ask what what you think EA is and how is it related to utilitarianism? Because a lot of people really hate utilitarianism. Shouldn't they just hate EA? Interesting. I think they are closely related. Let me answer that second part. There are so many good reasons to hate EA. I don't necessarily think you need to just pick utilitarianism as the reason. Uh, and in point of fact, I think that you may be shouldn't hate EA for utilitarianism. Um, uh, So to jump back to the first thing you said, I think that they are pretty tightly connected in that many early founders in the movement would label themselves as utilitarian. I think the tradition comes from a utilitarian tradition. Um, Peter Singer is a notable early EA, proto-EA, um, huge influence, um, a, a, a clear utilitarian thinker, many others as well. Um, and uh, But I, I don't necessarily think it's exclusively that. I would not necessarily label myself as a utilitarian. I think to a certain degree, maybe this is a dodge, but like consequentialist style thinking is like maybe the broader thing that... Um, That's not a dodge at all. That, that, that clearly mm-hmm. is a different thing. Clearly a different thing. Good. Well, I do think of it as like consequentialism as being like maybe the key part of it, though I know people who identify as EA and are not that. Um, to maybe put it a bit more succinctly then, it would be something like deeply influenced by an idea that you should actually think about the like outcome of things, do the expected value uh, uh, calculations, but by no means is it exclusively requiring signing up for the full utilitarian crazy train. And I say that with praise, by the way, for the people who do. There, there, it, it, it is the question really is about the difference. And the way I have thought of the difference is consequentialism, which I associate more with effective altruism, is 
if you are going to engage in charitable activities or you're going to try to participate in some way of helping people who are less fortunate, you have an obligation to make sure you maximize the positive effects of your efforts and your money. So if you have already allocated some effort and some resources to charity, you should care about information about ways that you could increase the impact of it. Because why I think I like it? sign up. Yeah, I think that that's a great and like probably captures like 95%, maybe to like 98% of the spirit of it. With the only quibble that I would say there is I think a lot of people argue within this space around uh, the term obligation and then also the term maximization, where those are still contentious um, about whether or not a true spirit of this movement is like feeling an obligation versus some other motivation for caring about the information, which by the way, I love, I think I'm definitely gonna steal that phrase, which I think is right about like caring about information that could help you maximize the good you're doing. And then the other term that people quibble about is maximization is like, well, there are a lot of things that can like go wrong when you start to maximize things, a lot of other values that can fall to the side. How do you avoid having that happen? But I, I also think it's just a fair characterization that like quite a bit about it is like as an intellectual tradition and as a practice is about maximization and like trying to actually think through how do you really get the most of this thing that you state you care about. And that is why EA is in some ways tainted with the association with Peter Singer, because he's actually operating on the other margin. Utilitarianism almost starts at the other end. Utilitarianism is the source of the obligation. So long as there are differences in utility between you and someone who's less well off and you have the capacity to do something about those things, then you have an obligation to do something about those things. That mm. seems to me highly questionable. It, I, mm. I've always seen EA as starting at the other end, given the massive differences. Mm. Wouldn't you want to try to do something? And if you did do something to reduce those differences, wouldn't you try to do it in utilizing as much information as available? And if the movement can reduce the transactions cost of having information about who needs help most and what the best kinds of help are. So I, I see those two things as, as starting at different margins. Yes, they come pretty close together, but utilitarianism is deriving an obligation from mm. um, any difference at all. Now, that's a caricature, but you can certainly read the real utilitarians that way. So long as I'm somewhat better than off than someone else, there's some obligation. Maybe I don't have to act on it, but I have some moral obligation to care about other people. Yeah, that seems um, fair as a difference. Um, and also well, as, a, as a as a like 10,000 foot level. No, no. Yeah. And, and I think oh, um, that, that, so, so one thing that I, I think is, is very true about that is something about the like message and also focus of EA as a movement from its outward facing communications versus its inter and intra communications where I strongly agree, especially traditionally when EA was first and foremost about, I don't know, first and foremost, that's the wrong phrase. It's actually always had kind of a multiplicity of viewpoints within it, but um, 
you know, a decade ago, five, even five years ago, I think it had much more of a global uh, welfare point of view, strongly influenced by Peter Singers. And I think in that world, both some of the communication with others and within the movement was quite focused on pointing out just the sheer difference, the magnitude, as you say, between somebody in the first world with their suit and then the drowning child in the pond and how, of course, you would want to try to save the child. And thus also you should consider donating. Uh, And I think I, 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 and, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. Now, a difference is, and I think this happens in a lot of intellectual communities is in the, arguments and discussions you're having with people within the community it focuses more on where does the line get drawn and like at what point do we like stop here and i think that's where you start to see the part that looks a little bit more like what you're pointing out and 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 the kind of utilitarian obligation of like well if you do really care about this why would you just stop at um donating x amount of money to ending malaria why not also um go further And yeah, I I think that is kind of a natural consequence of a lot of utilitarian thinking, which is there is not an immediate point in which you are like, no, this is supererogatory. This is this is something I don't have to do um, as a moral demand. And that is been fascinating to see as well in terms of how that idea translates into praxis within within a community that is, at least in my mind, fundamentally about trying to put the intellectual ideas here into practice. So one of the things I have enjoyed from afar about watching the EA scrum is something that I also see inside libertarians. A lot mm. of libertarians argue about different end state utopias. Yeah. The fact is we agree on almost everything and we have a thousand miles to go in that direction yeah. before yeah. we decide, okay, this is enough or we should go further. Yes. Why not go 10 miles in that direction before you start arguing? Preach. Sure. The, I mean, the, yeah. the, the end state utopias that you can conceive of, great. Have a beer, talk about that. But at the yeah. office during the day, let's try to get the train moving. Let's try to direction. get one mile at a time. Yeah. I, I, I really agree with this. If I have a theory on why this happens, I don't think it's about some kind of explicit part of the ideology. Um well, actually, maybe I'll retract that. But like one thing is, I think so much of this comes about from just the actual structure and like of the communities, the institutions that exist and the kind of like personal d- dynamics between members where certain communities seem much better at being able to like both have like one hand grasping the big ideas and being able to really think through the implications of them and be like, no, but when do we stop while also being able to have another hand grasping just the idea of like, okay, but also like when ideas hit reality, there's a bit of a decomposing a certain amount of flex you need in order to just like get things done. Um, And I think a mark of a good thriving fertile community is one that can do both. And uh, this is obviously something you know more about than I do, but at least as something of an outsider now to some of the libertarian movement, it strikes me as one that is like had a hard time navigating that kind of that kind of different or being able to hold that tension and still do things productively. I'm, I may know more about the problem. I know less about the solution because <laughs> it's something I have never been able to solve. I've compared directional and destinationist solutions. The directionalists all have an idea of let's move in this direction. And that seems to me more like, yay. 
destinationists have a particular end state vision and anything that doesn't immediately lead to that, they say, well, that's not enough. And to be fair, comparing those is a way of measuring your commitment. And so if you're not fully committed, then you're not really in the club. Can we trust you? I think that's right. And I think that process is like always running and requires some really good leadership maybe, or some kind of like embedded wisdom or groundedness. I don't quite know what this phrase would be or what the like gears level meaning of those terms are, but it is like how I think about it within the community and the members where you can like resist the temptation to constantly be doing the purity checks. Yeah. Yeah. And well, have a beer at night and do that. That's okay. (laughs) There's a lot of other stuff to do. Well, some people, you've already mentioned this a little bit. Some people characterize EA as maximize expected utility in almost every aspect of our lives, really. So it's not just in the way we treat others. It's the way that we do things as individuals. Is that accurate? And uh, what has been your experience? How, how has it changed? How's, how has doing that changed the way? You yeah. Think? So it's complicated. And one thing I would say is that it's important to think of the demographic composition of EA and the associated communities when thinking about the fervor that some bring utility maximization to. And, um, you know, Obviously, I'll note this is not a concept alien to the Munger household about age being an important thing, uh, noting uh, your, your, your son's work uh, on this. Um, I think it's really important. And when I think about EA as a movement, um, one of the things that has struck me is how much a decade ago, the oldest members of EA, we, when it was like a proto movement or just forming we're maybe in their thirties, like, and like, not, not in the upper thirties, maybe in like early mid. Uh, and that really shaped the styles of conversations and the kind of like attitudes and behaviors. And uh, if I think about it now, a decade on um, one thing I'm struck by also, it's gone through a lot during that period is the degree to which some of these ideas, at least I think, are being held a little bit better and a little bit more uh, looser or gentler. Um, again, let me be, oh, I don't know. I didn't say this at the start, so I should note just one guy who has been involved in this for a while and like still is still not quite you know, sure his relationship to the broader movement. But my take, at least, is that the attitude towards utility maximization seemed much more common in the early, earlier days when it was forming. And also there was like more probably like youth among people as well, or like less of a contingent of people who could see the ways in which like deeply gripping to utility maximization had negative effects on people and on institutions and groups. And I can talk more about that. Um, And now at least many people at least pay homage to the idea of, being careful about forcing maximization too hard and having something more like an 80% attitude towards it. Uh, Like most notably the FTX collapse, which I think is important to talk about and Sam Bankman transactions and the degree to which this was like interlinked within the movement is just such a stark and was such a clear indicator of some of the 
risks and systemic risks of unchecked utility maximization uh that it was been like a huge uh signal to avoiding that certain aspects of that mindset within the community but even before that i think there were many incidents and difficulties that can come from just holding to utility maximization here's something i want to note i feel a little bad because there are people who i think can make very good cases within the A movement and outside of it, I'm like why utility maximization is the right framework to have. It's just not one that I subscribe to. And I think to wrap up what has been a long soliloquy here, the important part is like being able to like have that kind of attitude towards altruistic endeavors and parts of your personal life and other things like being able to know, no, I actually care about this value. I want to like work to like maximize it, but without doing it in a way that feels like the kind of classic naive utilitarian world thing that you end up sacrificing a lot and not noticing all the secondary third effects, um, which if I may to name check a libertarian who I think is like absolutely right about this and like has the attitude that is being reflected in EA, but maybe could even have more is kind of the Hayekian attitude here. Um, which I think has just like a humility underscoring it that maximi- maximizing attitudes often don't. The difficulty and the thing that Hayek is very good about is recognizing the limits of human capacity to know the right thing. So the example that I always use is suppose you're in a new city, you don't have any resources and your phone's not working for some reason. You want to go to the best restaurant you can. It's a city of 5 million people. You're not going to find the best restaurant that you can. It would take you two days to do any sort of right. research. In fact, even right. if you have your phone and you look on Yelp, you're not going to maximize. The last thing you want to do is to try to maximize along that one margin. And yeah. once you start to account for the costs of information and the opportunity costs of time, sure, maximize expected utility. That's okay, but that's actually a very different thing than always make sure you have the best in the feasible set because the research required to do that with any real probability is it, it just can't happen. Absolutely. And I do think uh, EA, and again, I keep saying this broader intellectual community because I think it is a little broader than EA, um, has an appreciation for the value of information and like being able to stop the search process at some point. Uh, one thing that as a community it does well, though, is like, something like ongoing intellectual conversations around it where like quite a bit of the intellectual culture and like the cause prioritization within EA has shifted over the past decade in part because of this continuing search process that is running that like maybe doesn't get fully maximized, but like is still happening. And so I'm bringing this up because it like comes to mind from the restaurant search where it's like, yeah, like having a bit of a long-term view on these kind of search things, I think is important and is a part of the culture where we don't know yet if we're at the right spot. The advantage is that that suggests that it should be possible for groups of people to create institutions that facilitate others. So we have a list. Here's the different yep. cuisines. I, you know, I, so I have a, I'm going to search within a cuisine and there's no reason for our charitable impulses not to have the same sort of informational benefits. EA has done one of the best, I think, of any modern movement. I would say the best. I like I would have unequivocally said this maybe a year ago, obviously everything for uh, in this group kind of shifted post FTX. But um, in terms of like really having a commitment to the institution building that can then support intellectual infrastructure, I at least don't know of other comparable groups that have had that priority for it and where I think it's clearly paid off Uh, to an outsider. FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried sort of showed 
their words, not mine, the superficiality of this kind of faith, because this person was an obvious fraud and con man who was all these supposedly hyper-rational people were completely taken in by and was running a pyramid scheme, which when it collapsed, they were all shocked. And in fact, to all of the outsiders who knew all along this was going to happen, it wasn't a surprise. Now, I think that's quite a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, looking back and saying that they knew, because no one said that. No no one was making- Unfortunately, unfortunately no. Um, I would respect it a lot more for the people that had the prediction track record down uh, that like, yes, this was obviously going to happen. And by the way, you would have made hundreds of millions yeah, shorting. Absolutely. It, um, you can I don't, tell yeah. if, if somebody actually believes something about whether they trade on that belief. And that 100 percent. It, it didn't. And I don't think that superficiality is the right. Term. There are many reasons to critique EA as a movement and like what this indicates about it. And I could like list many of those. Um, I, I, I don't, as somebody who uh, like, um, you know, it was aware and has worked in like tech and, and, and various things nearby the, that world. Um, I, I don't think that there was like a, what, what, what would I actually believe here? Mostly that I think there's a like very clear lesson here about the dangers of centralization and the way in which this like pillar of EA, and I think there's no way to say that like he wasn't like outside of just funding amount and also the degree to which like other EA groups lionize him in his efforts. Um, I, I think that like, it's very clear that it was like seen as a model of, of things to do up until the collapse um, I don't think that that's because people were like blinding themselves to the pyramid scheme nature of it. But I do think that there's a, a way in which the worldview of like, well, you know, we, we, um, I'm putting air quotes around that. We clearly have the knowledge of what to do. And we're like, you know, Enron style, the smartest people in the room. And so like, we should just like get power in order to do that um, is a, failure mode of the technocratic or like high modernist impulses within EA and um, this collapse kind of pointing out the ways in which, well, there's so much systematic risk from that. And there is no way that you can like overcome some of the, like, just like getting the right worldview from many other people. Um, Well, to be fair, I don't believe it means, yeah, please. It's also the success mode. Um, It, the, the, that idea that there are things to be done, we're actually going to try to do them in the best way that it's, that's possible. Yep. And instead of relying on existing institutions, we can actually make be and okay. Yes. It's totally agree with that. We're the smartest people in the room. So it is the, it is certainly possible to say that people with that mindset are going to be susceptible to failures, which when they happen will be spectacular. Yes. Yes. I think that's all true. The, um, what they, I wanted yeah. to ask you about was about yeah. some successes that you could point to in a, in a, and these can be small, yeah. but some, some sort of proof of concept, because what, what most people know about was, Oh, EA, if you get to talking to someone at a cocktail party, you're going to be sorry. <laughs> Cause they're going to talk for a long time. And, well, then that's a, true. and then that, and, but now it's all over. 
And in fact, mm. it's not all over and there have been some successes. So can you say something about that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is from my position, uh, again, as somebody who's been like followed and like worked um, on various projects associated with EA over the years, like uh, I think it's uh, like examples include within the animal welfare world. I think that it has both done like a really good job of shifting some of the conversation around animal welfare uh, in, in a way that is like consequentialist, like how do you reduce suffering? And I both think about that with like um, real clear wins on advocacy for, uh, you know, certain better, a better treatment of animals um, also shifting the discourse within animal welfare circles where I, heard this secondhand but like just a degree to which like years ago people wouldn't even consider things in within these groups that was about like trying to like prioritize ways of more humane killing or um like different different value of different animals and i think that can still be a bit taboo but i think ea as an intellectual movement did a lot within animal welfare to shift the conversation to be more consequentialist there uh other examples i mean uh, could look at just like the sheer numbers uh, amount of money donated um, by give well by other orgs that did take this clear cause prioritization route and gave money that is probably going to be much better uh, spent within more effective charities in global development. But then I guess the main one, and this comes from the world that like I kind of come more from, which is focusing on AI. Oh, and I should note, cause I didn't say this at the beginning, you know, FAR is not an EA organization. We're an alignment research lab, but like many of us in this space influenced by ideas that have been talked quite a bit about in EA and rationalist spaces, which is around like the potential risks from AI and the importance of getting safe and aligned systems. And to, the extent that AI alignment was not a field 20 years ago, it basically wasn't 10 years ago either. And it was like a far richer, like, like there's been, there's been a tremendous amount of field building and intellectual progress on uh, the potential risk from AI. And if you do think that this is one of the more important problems in the world, then I think you have to credit EA for both being very early on it and investing a lot in trying to develop, uh, the field that could help tackle these issues. I wanted to ask what may strike you as a kind of an off the wall question, but it's a sort of thing philosophers kind of care about. Um, I was reading and it really struck me that Adam Smith, well, so the, 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 this podcast is the answer is transaction cost with the claim really that almost everything is about transaction cost. And that changes in transactions cost can have large unexpected effects because they change the number of cooperative activities that are possible. And in, in a way, it's a price. Mm. It's not a monetary price. It's just something that used to be wasted can now be used. So yep. there is a Smith actually talks in the theory of moral sentiments about something that's very close to the hearts of a lot of EA people. So let me let me just read it. It's probably 200 words, so it's a little bit long. Two different sets of philosophers have attempted to teach us the hardest of all lessons of morality. One set have labored to increase our sensibility to the interests of others. Another, to diminish that to our own. 
The first would have us feel for others as we naturally feel for ourselves. So by that, he's referring to the charitable impulse. So if I, I care about myself. I see some more suffering. I think I should care about them too. Right. The second would have us feel for ourselves as we naturally feel for others. And that was the Stoics. Mm-hmm. And the Stoics mm-hmm. would say, look, you're no better than anybody else. Yeah, your foot hurts. Shut up. Everybody has problems. And so stop pretending that you should get extra treatment. Right. So it's interesting. He himself is kind of a Stoic, but he's interested in the first of those that would feel for others as we naturally feel for ourselves. Both perhaps have carried their doctrines a good deal beyond the just standard of nature and propriety. And this next sentence is one of my favorites in all of Smith. And I'm pretty Mm. sure that uh, Peter Singer played on an intramural softball team by this name at, at Princeton. The first are those whining and melancholy moralists. So whining and melancholy moralist is a great intramural softball team. That's a great, that's a great team name. That's a great band name. Yeah. I must reuse this at some point. I, 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 I'll, I'll get t-shirts. I'll make sure you get <laughs> The first are those whining and melancholy moralists who are perpetually reproaching us with our own happiness, while so many of our brethren are in misery, who regard as impious the natural joy of prosperity, which does not think of the many wretches that are at every instant laboring under all sorts of calamity, calamities, mm. the languor of poverty, the agony of disease, the horrors of death. Commiseration for those miseries which we never saw, which we never heard of, but we may be assured of are at all time are infesting such numbers of our fellow creatures ought, they think, to damp the pleasures of the fortunate and to render a certain melancholy dejection habitual to all men. But first of all, this extreme sympathy with misfortunes we know nothing about seems altogether absurd and unreasonable. Now, the reason I think that the reason I think that's important is that when he wrote that in 1759, there was geography and there was time. Something that was across an ocean was beyond my capacity to have much of an effect on it. And when I heard of something, it's like looking up in the sky and seeing a supernova that happened years before. By the time I hear about some earthquake in China, it was a long time ago. And yeah. I think, damn, that's a shame. Geography and time have been eliminated by the way that the world has become digital. Right. And so actually being able to know things about the world around us, more or less in real time, and to be able to send resources almost in real time, particularly if you have an infrastructure of mobilization. Right changes those people from, I actually have some sympathy with his claim. I, in some ways, I think, this is me saying this, I'm looking for your reaction. Peter Singer is a whining and melancholy moralist. He would like it if everybody felt bad about their child having a birthday party. He would go to that margin. My, I, Kevin had birthday parties, damn it. We had, he had birthday parties. He had birthday parties. So, yes. but, but still, there is really something to the claim that at the margin, if we can get rid of the obstacles of time and geography. And so, th- to me, this is the value proposition saying that if Smith were here now, he'd say, well, yeah, okay, I see. That makes sense. EA actually means that there is something that can be done. It can be done quickly and it can be done effectively. So is the biggest impact Mm. of EA the reduction in transaction cost? I always want it to be about information and infrastructure. And that's my own Procrustean bet. 
But is it fair at least to say that's a contribution? 100% it's a contribution and on a number of axes. And so I think this is going to address some of what you just said, but also will spiral it a little bit, which is the institutions and makeup of EA is dramatically influenced by the internet and the decline of transaction costs, where it almost entirely came from weirdos with blogs talking online with each other. This is something I have as a huge gripe, by the way, against most mainstream coverage of EA. Certainly back when it was shiny, entirely shiny, unblemished uh, by the FTX drama and crime and obvious terribleness. Uh, but you would read these stories in like Time Magazine that had this amazing shiny take on like the origins of EA, how it came from Oxford University and the mines there. No, yes, Oxford is definitely a hub and an intellectual center for it. But where it came from was weirdos online arguing with each other and like the decreased transaction costs of that. And then also being able to then like hold and having the right prioritization for this holding community meetings, people flying out to see each other, Bay area style things. I say this as somebody who was the sponsor of the EA global in 2015 at Google, like the just decrease in transaction costs and how much easier it was to bring people together to form the relationships and make a community are things that were possible now, not, 20 years ago, even, or certainly not in Adam Smith's time. And that adds a like distinct global kind of attitude towards it that I think has influenced a lot of ideas just by existing. And then yes, uh, to move more towards the like impact on the global development side that like lower transaction costs. I think this is really true, especially in the global development vein of EA, which is, uh, you know, I, I think like one of the big wins from this has been getting towards the idea of just giving money to people, identifying and giving money to people in less developed countries and a standout EA startup called uh, Wave has almost exclusively focused on that and building the infrastructure to reduce the transaction costs to make this kind of money remittance very low cost. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, like standout EA charities like Give Directly and Give Well have been focused on, yep, how do we actually just think about this in the right way? Now the transaction costs can be lowered and we can find the right kinds of um, people where we can give this money to the most effectively. How do we just scale that and do it? Uh, then finally, third, like, or I don't know, there's so much more I could talk about on transaction costs as it relates to EA, but I like to cut myself off on the like third point from the kind of like stream of the movement that I've mostly gestated in. Long termism is the belief that time is not a distinguishing factor between who you should care about. Should you have, uh, should you care about future generations, both? our grandkids, our great grandkids, but then thinking about the entirety of humanity and the like moral value of all of our potential descendants. Well, long-termism is a belief that that has weight and that you should care about them. And this is maybe forcing a little bit too much into the frame of transaction costs, but I think of this as an idea that about reducing transaction costs so that you can make trades with these future generations and benefit them. One of the biggest things that has changed about EA over the last 10 years is I would say long-termism and this kind of moral argument has carried the day in many different parts of the 
philosophy. And that has had real implications in terms of where energy, attention, capital, both money and human capital, talent are going to different groups. And yeah, I think that that is like in some ways uh, an argument that like, well, having ideas about transaction costs or like how to, how, to, how to shift resources to people, how to do transactions is super important important to the movement. Well, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I will work on those whining and melancholy moralist t-shirts and make sure that yes. you get one. Um, That'd be great because I'm not, I'm with you. We need, I, I, my favorite part, again, I don't think I would label myself as an EA or at least I'd have hesitations. Like the thing that I like is the kinds of movements that have a certain joyous attitude towards the ideas. And it's almost like, you know, I don't quite feel like I have an obligation. It's more that I just have like an unusual interest in some aspects of this altruism and like, that's fun. To be fair, that means people are going to ask. And if you have that t-shirt on, you'll be able to say, well, this was before Adam Smith was converted to EA, but now. (laughs) Yeah. Before we found the frame. He is a big EA advocate now that transactions have been reduced. Yeah. No, I think this is very valuable as a, as a stream. And um, by the way, to get back to the way in which like institutions have been such at the core of this, like when my immediate thinking was like, yeah, EA forum, less wrong, all of these like online forums that like talk about the ideas. I think it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that should be in the water supply. Well, is, is there anything that listeners who wanted to learn more and wanted Mm. to do it in a way that was, pretty low in transaction cost is is there something that they should look at i'll put up uh some links in the show notes but what would you say are the one or two things where would you start that's a really good question but as somebody who is not necessarily an emissary normally outside of this specific podcast uh for ea i'm not entirely sure i do think i can give like I'm not sure where the best place to start is. If, it doesn't have to be if the I best. Just, it could just oh, be you're right. <laughs> you're right. What is good enough? Um, I I think that the EA Forum team has done a great job of like a having a forum that has epistemic standards and does a good job of collecting like links from different people and also has like sequences that like kind of both introduce things, but also kind of help people tumble down the rabbit hole. I I would also say they've done a good job of like avoiding the kind of like epistemic lock-in that can often happen. So that'd be my recommendation. Well, my guest today has been Ben Goldhaber. Ben, thanks so much for being part of Tidy C. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Whoa, that sound means it's time for the twedge. What I've done this time is record what I think is a really excellent joke about effective altruism from the Reddit site of D. Tarius, D-T-A-R-I-A-S. Now, you might not find this joke funny, but it is a great send-up of the kind of extremism that might characterize the maximize expected utility implication. So, yes, it's not entirely fair, but come on, it's a joke. What is the most efficient charity, right? Like, how, how can I help the most people while spending the least amount of money? Uh, and it turns out it's actually buying malaria nets, or, or rather, anti-malaria nets. It's not, it's not a smallpox blanket situation. And I'm like, I got you this net. They're like, why is it buzzing? I'm like, just enjoy the net. It's a gift. But it's true. If you wanted to help the most people, malaria nets is the best, by far.
So I don't understand why haven't the other charities switched to Nets yet? Like, what are they doing? You know, I have a friend who's into Autism Speaks. It's like, no, Autism shouldn't speak. They should make Nets. I feel like they'd be good at that. Or um, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. No, the Make-A-Net Foundation. Those kids still got a few good weeks left in them. You show up, they're like, are you going to grant my wish? It's like, that depends. Is your wish to be a net manufacturer? The worst are um, animal people, people who charities or animal stuff, because you're funding wheelchairs for fish when there's people who need help. You know, it's nonsense. People are so much more important than animals. Like, if it was up to me, and I had to decide between letting one person die or killing 800 dogs, I wouldn't even have to think about it. I would push the button, I would lower the net full of dogs into the lava, and you're like, oh, that's so sad. It's like, I know, what a waste of a net, but like, I'm helping. <laughs> Now, catching up on letters, there was another letter we got last week. Mike, I happened to eat at a $195 buffet yesterday. It was the Sunday brunch at the Breakers in Palm Beach, Florida. I've attached the receipt and pictures. Of course, I wanted to consume the money cost value in food, but I'm not sure I was able to get there. RC in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this was about the discussion on the previous episode that the most expensive, uh, about what the most expensive buffet in the world was. And RC has found one even more expensive than the one that I found. And I've actually stayed at the Breakers, but I, I did not go to that buffet, so I did not see that price. Kind of hard for me to imagine $195 per person for a breakfast buffet, but I bet it was really good. Well, thanks for that letter, RC. The next episode will be one month from now, Halloween Day, October 31st. We'll work on the problem of transaction costs, cryptocurrency, and the blockchain space. Plus, we'll have another hilarious twedge and more next month on Tidy C.